Hello, and welcome back to Altered States of Context. Today, Brian and I sit down and we discuss beliefs, a very common word. There's a lot to unpack when we think about belief, so we'll define what it is, the various levels of belief, how psychedelics may change them, and the profound implications of that. We talk about the ethics of belief change, how one may or may not be able to consent to an experience that is likely to shift fundamental beliefs, and talk about worldview and touch into spirituality and religion. We cover a lot of ground today, as one might expect, in a conversation about something as broad and deeply important as belief to human beings. Hopefully, you'll find that we handle the issue with care and at least a certain degree of thoroughness. Although it's a short podcast and there are many, many, many dimensions of this particular conversation to explore. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe. Share on your social media feeds. Um, Help us get the word out so that we can broaden this conversation to as many people as possible so that we can involve a broad base of people in the ongoing psychedelic renaissance. Thanks and enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to Altered States of Context. Today is a Brian and Nate episode. So I'm here with Brian. Brian, how are you today? I'm good. Hi, Nate. How are you? Pretty well. Pretty well. Ready to talk about beliefs. You know, I think that's our topic we're going to dive into today is um, beliefs and the impact that psychedelics may or may not have on them and what that means. Um, so, you know, to do that, I think um, we did some homework, at least you did some homework and <laughs> read some articles about this. And this is something I've been thinking a lot in general about. So I think we can have you know, really interesting discussion on, on um, beliefs in psychedelics. And I think also just beliefs generally, beliefs in psychotherapy, belief change. I mean, that's a pretty profound concept and beliefs do tend to be pretty durable. Um, and so what does it mean to change beliefs and uh, what does it be- mean to potentially change beliefs very quickly? Um, and what are the, you know, the implications of that, you know, including potential ethical implications of somebody, you know, you know, they're signing up, they want to come and get treatment so that they can maybe feel better, you know, not necessarily, you know, do they know what they're in for, if they might have, you know, come out with a different metaphysical worldview. Um, it's just worth, uh, worth considering. So, um, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about just summarizing some of the stuff that, uh, you know, some of the, the studies that you were reading and we'll just use that as a jumping off point to discuss this issue in more depth. Sure. Maybe first I'll step back and just define what we mean by worldview. Um, you know, it might be obvious, uh, and you know, we could talk about beliefs on different levels. We could talk about beliefs like, you know, people are good or it's worth trying new things. Um, but a lot of the, the studies that uh, I looked at and a lot of the uh, conversation around this in terms of psychedelics 
really refers to your your kind of containing myth or uh, you, the way you make sense of the existential reality of life, right? Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Who, 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 how do we get here? Um, and all of that stuff. And you could argue that um, everybody has a set of metaphysical beliefs. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone believes in God, but that just means that everyone has some way to make sense of how we all got here. And even if they choose not to think about those things, um, that is in some way their answer to the question. Some people are not, um, you know, attracted to these sorts of things and, uh, or they, you know, they may not have gone through like an existential crisis in their life where they, uh, you know, some people go through these periods of time where they think very deeply about the nature of reality and whether or not there's a God or not. Um, so, uh, you know, in when we talk about worldview or um, you know belief systems, where where this can encompass a whole range of things, from the spiritual to the religious, all the way down to the more mundane day to day things as well. You know, and I, just to add too, I think um, you know, as you mentioned, some people have uh, had occasion in their life to question those beliefs um, or search. Um, but you know many haven't but i think even even in those cases for people who just don't think much about it there there's still a worldview there and that worldview still rests on metaphysical assumptions whether that person is really very clear about them or not um you know there still is assumptions about the way the world works and the way things are that animate um you know how they live and make decisions so um so I think that's important to point out that everybody has a worldview and everybody has metaphysical physical yeah. something, whether or not they're surfaced or not. And part of the function of, of, of this worldview, or you could, you know, frame them as stories, um, is that they provide functional coherence. You know, they, they provide a sense that this makes sense. I can explain my reality. I can explain my experience in a story which allows me to feel safer, right? It allows me to predict, to know that my story, you know, makes sense. It fits, uh, you know, without that, without that, that functional coherence, it can be very anxiety provoking or distressful. Um, and so sometimes things happen, you know, I'm not talking about psychedelics here, but you know, uh, the, the death of a loved one or some tragedy and that, you know, that provokes one's story. You know, I thought the world was a good place. I thought, you know, only bad things happen to bad people. Why, why did this happen to me? Um, so, you know, life will often throw us these curveballs that really challenge us and uh, prompt us to kind of rewrite our stories. And that, you know, that could be, that can look like a whole bunch of things and involve a process of, you know, days, weeks, months, or, or years. Some people, you know, they, uh, they give up their religious uh, perspective, let's say that they were raised in. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, some people, they never find an alternative. They never land on a different version of God that resonates with them or makes sense with them, given some experiences they had later in life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I like with this too, I like the term um, 
moral injury as well. I think describes this sometimes well in the idea of moral injury when, you know, a person encounters an event and, 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 you know, often that's a trauma or has the, the mechanism of a trauma, but it's also, I think, describes the layer at which one's worldview was violated and mm-hmm. which is very hard, can be very hard to bounce back from, you know, can be very hard to bounce back from to feel like, well, okay, I, I sort of, like you said, function, you know, with functional coherence, you know, I have, you know, there's a coherent way that I view my life and my place in the world. Um, and something disturbs that. And then it sort of sends ripples through every aspect of, of life. Like every, everything is, is then upended to a degree, you know, everything changes because it doesn't all fit anymore. It's not like you just took out one puzzle piece and the rest of the puzzle is intact. You, you know, you remove something foundational and, and then it isn't clear anymore where all the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if we think about, um, you know, a lot of the, the function of spirituality or, or religion for a lot of people is to provide that sort of explanation of here's, here's how we got here. Here's the purpose of our life. Here's how to live your life. Um, and you know, I think a lot of those people who are out there who are not religious often look at religion and, and criticize it and say, well, how could you believe this? How do you know that there's, you know, a man in the sky and all that stuff. And, um, but from this perspective of functionality, we can see that, you know, like, it's like, I, you know, sometimes I wish I had really firm, simple, concrete beliefs. And, you know, there's something appealing about just tell me what to do. Tell me how to live my life. Tell me the right things to do. Tell me that everything's going to be okay. And, and there, you know, there's, there's a need for that. Um, you know, admits the, the, you know, the existential nature of our existence, which is, you know, just vast uncertainty. Hmm. Vast uncertainty. Um, Indeed. <laughs> so that's a little bit of foundation then here for you know what we mean uh, by worldview. And when we talk um, belief, you know, the way we're talking about capital B belief, um, although we can also, I'm sure, visit into smaller B belief as well. Um, and those are, those are, I think, in many cases, very straightforwardly therape- therapeutic, you know, like maladaptive beliefs or, uh, you know, um, conceptualized self, um, you know, beliefs about oneself, um, you know, or like the unacceptability of oneself or limits of oneself or, um, so I think that there's small B beliefs and big B beliefs, um, that are obviously related to one another. Um, um, but I think we're diving in with the more capital B beliefs at the moment. And so some of the the studies that have been done on beliefs have conclusions that are probably not surprising in that uh, psychedelics seem to lead to, uh, for many people, changes in their their fundamental um, conception of reality, right? One study found that 87% of participants reported that a psychedelic experience changed their fundamental conception of reality. Uh, and furthermore, in that study, 
um, those who um, identified as a believer, meaning that, you know, believing in some sort of God or higher power um, rose from 29% to 59%. Uh, and and this, this was a, another study uh, uh, specifically focused on DMT also found um, that about half of those who identified as atheists before DMT did not identify as atheists after DMT. Um, what percentage so again, was that? probably Sorry, not. What, so, what percentage did you say? Uh, about about half. Wow. Yeah, about half. So you know, those who went in as atheists, about half came out saying, "I don't think I'm an atheist anymore." That's remarkable. Which it it, it is remarkable, and and you know, it, I was thinking like, what other what other experience reliably, um, you know, leads to that sort of change, you know, like it's not, um, I mean, you know, there's, there's such thing as a spontaneous mystical experience. And of course, you know, some people will change their, their worldview. They'll become more spiritual and more religious. Um, but it's pretty remarkable that a singular or, you know, a, a finite number of discrete experiences leads to such change. And these studies are also finding that for, in, in large part uh, that, that these, these maintain. Um, they're, they're, that's an interesting thing too, because they, they do kind of fade with time. And that might be because there aren't the cultural or social institutions to maintain them. And, you know, I know, you know, in my own experience with, um, you know, deep mystical type psychedelic trips, um, they, they do, you know, tend to fade away and you kind of get pulled back to the mundane if that's if that's your day-to-day reality. But I don't know. What do you think about that, Nate? Does that surprise you about people going in as atheists and coming out as, um, you know, believing in God? And, and how, 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 does, how do we make sense of that? Um, it does not surprise me um (laughs) it 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 checks out um i mean that was my um that was my experience personally for certain um as a pardon me as a younger man i was um you know in college in high school and college i was um you know very secular and uh fairly i would say aggressive in uh you know, atheistic sort of beliefs. Um, and then, um, after psychedelic experiences, um, I was emphatically not atheist, uh, still dense and ambiguous, but definitely not that anymore. Like that, like that, that sort of like, um, you know, it, it, uh, for me expands, um, it you expands your view um, to include far more than um, you can confidently, because um, that's the thing. One thing about atheism is it, it's it's very confident that you know what you see is what you get, um, and that was um, removed for sure. Um, and even it comes up, you know, all, you know, all the time now. There's just these um, like uh, things that make me think of that, and one of which was um, just recently when these um, um, pictures were released by the new James Webb telescope. And of course, everybody was blown away and awed by them. And, um, you know, it's uh, relating to their um, uh, just overall vast scope. 
Uh, and one of the things that just really, as soon as I looked at it, the one with the, the you know, like that, like hundreds of little galaxies there, um, and just my overwhelming um, sense was just feeling like looking at that and instantly thinking we're just part of a larger body. I have no way of uh, conceiving of what that body is. I have no way of, of like, there's just no, no, like my mind won't do it. I can't comprehend it, but it was just a real uh, deep feeling of like, not only that like these um, galaxies are vast and innumerable, um, but also that it's just not a cold, empty physical universe, that this is part of a larger body. And that's a sense um you know, that directly came from experiences that I had that has really stuck with me ever since. And I don't imagine, I don't, I can't conceive that that would go away. And, um, you know, whether it's uh, uh, true or not, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter as far as what someone else thinks. I mean, it definitely is something that is just pretty unshakable for me. Um, But I'm not trying to convince anyone is what I'm saying. It's just, that's a, um, a conviction of mine now. And it's interesting to think about too, like if you were listening to this and you were pretty committed atheist and then you're like, well, yeah, you take a drug and you have a trip and then all of a sudden you believe crazy shit. Wow. Okay, fine. Um, like it's sort of interesting to like, you know, from the outside looking in to think like that's not necessarily an endorsement of the experience. <laughs> depending on your point of view. Right. I, I had the same thought, you know, like when, if you think about people who are more skeptical, um, you know, that is one of the criticisms of, you know, the psychedelic movement or whatever you want to call it is that, you know, yeah, once you take these drugs and you get high, of course you want to keep getting high. You want to, you know, you want to just kind of like reinforce that or something. And, uh, you know, I don't obviously agree with that perspective, but I can see where others in the outside looking in would um, be very skeptical. I mean, you know, we could look at, uh, you know, the, the cultural things, the, the way that this this uh, unfolded in the culture in the 60s, right? And uh, how how there was such a strong reaction against that. And so, you know, when, when the news stories report things like, and, you know, this is true of, you know, I think, maybe four, at least four of the psilocybin trials that that more that the majority of participants in the psilocybin trials rated the um, psilocybin experience as one of the most meaningful of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some of the participants, it was the most meaningful, but, you know, certainly within the most meaningful for most people. And so if, if you've never taken a psychedelic or maybe have some bias against drugs, you know, you might read that and think, you know, these people are all, all deluding themselves or, you know, that sounds wacky. How could that, how could that be? Right. It doesn't make sense. It, it sort of, we could say it doesn't fit their current worldview. So it gets rejected as evidence. It sort of is, is um, not, not welcome information because uh, it, it is pretty um, remarkable and, and I think hard hard to understand you know and i think it makes sense to bring some skepticism to that as far as i mean i think it's instinctive like to be like wow so you have a you know worldview perhaps that was um cultivated and created you know 
um, over your lifetime, probably over, you know, multiple lifetimes in the case of, you know, you know, often beliefs or, um, you know, these carefully cultivated things over time. And then to say, you know, one experience potentially, or a series of experiences, depending, um, with the power to alter, you know, someone's worldview, like their beliefs at a base level, um, seems both a little bit hard to believe or, or extremely hard to believe, depending on your point of view. And also like kind of, uh, I mean, that's powerful. I mean, I think any way you cut it, that's powerful. Um, and anything with that kind of power, I think deserves really does deserve a lot of, um, um, care and, um, thought. Okay. Yeah, I you know I I, I agree that the, you know they're 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 we should be skeptical and we should look at this and um you know what one of the um so so I should say you know the studies have found in these these studies that looked at change in beliefs that um, not only did people become more um, less atheistic or more believing in a higher power but just generally this trend away from you know, a physicalist worldview, meaning that, you know, the only thing that's real is what we can see and what we experience and day-to-day -day ordinary consciousness. That's the real thing. Everything else is just like a deviation, um, uh, uh, you know, into, a, into a, a perspective where people are walking away from psychedelic trips saying there's more than what we can see. There's, there's more out there. They don't necessarily know what that is or can articulate that. But just this sense that uh, there, there is, there is a, you know, a spirit world maybe, or there are higher powers, or there are dimensions that are, uh, you know, accessible to, to our consciousness somehow. Um, you know, you find all different language in, in people's attempts to try to explain uh, maybe a, a more fundamental um, idea that it, there's more than this. I have no idea what that that might be, but I know that you know I have a sense, I have an experiential sense because I've gone there, or I, I've I've met these beings, or I've met these entities, or I've talked to God. Um, I have this experiential sense, and and the interesting thing about that is, um, it, you know, it's it's one of the features of a mystical experience that um, that feels more real than this day-to-day -day consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now, we could chalk it up to a hallucination, of course, but this is a, a, a documented effect that people are coming back from these experiences. And by the way, it doesn't have to just be a drug experience. I'm speaking more of mystical mm -hmm. experiences, this sort of quality of them. People are saying, I got some sort of download of information or I got some sort of perspective that felt more real or more trustworthy uh, than than this day to day consciousness. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Extremely common, and um, that is a many 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 people's subjective experience. Like that's what it feels like to them, and so you know we kind of can step back and look at that and, and ask like, well is that true or is that right? And, you know, that is one question to ask, but then from another point of view, it's like that, well, that person's clearly 
that's their experience. They're clearly convinced of that, you know, like to go back to my story, I am clearly like the way I described the way that my worldview changed. I am clearly convinced now of my worldview and it isn't the same as it was before. It's clearly different um, on a, on a very basic level. Um, And so um, that's, there's a lot there, you know, there, there's, there's a whole lot there to think about. Um, it doesn't necessarily imply, I mean, I don't think people come out with a, that would be people do not come out with a uniform set of beliefs. So it isn't like there's this psychedelic uh-huh. experience and then people come out with a set of beliefs that like they all look the same. That's not it at all. Um, yeah, I think what you're indicating is that there's more likely to come out with a, um, a worldview that is less naturalistic. Yeah, that, that's that's less, you know, ground like less materialistic, right? Less okay. like um, believing that only what you know, what I can measure, what I can see is is real, um, and you know that that's part of our cultural um, be- our, our beliefs, and you know when you step back and and contextualize our culture in all of cultures, the history of culture, it's the minority viewpoint, the minority, you know, so basically that um, day-to-day waking consciousness is real. Everything else is just fluff or noise. You know, we have things in our culture. We say things like, Oh, it was just a dream. We don't, we don't value dreams. You know, they're interesting or fun, uh, but they're not, you know, as opposed to other cultures who viewed the dream world as somehow more real or really important sources of information or some connection to a, a spiritual world. So, you know, you could say that uh, in our culture and, you know, modern day Western culture, we've lost magic. We've lost uh, mystery. We've lost a sense that the world is this mysterious, wonderful place. Um within that materialistic framework and um you know that some you could argue that that loss of that uh that sense of magic that sense of wonder uh, about life about how we got here about the whole thing um has an effect on our uh, a negative effect on our mental health and well-being uh, that when we think we know we think we understand everything um, it that that results in a certain lifestyle or behavior such as you know destroying the planet without thinking about it that that has consequences I heard I learned a term over uh, the weekend that I really um, it's really relevant to this that I really love um, you know someone was described in a conversation with someone and they were um, uh, you know, were talking about you know this this sort of very thing um, and they used the term, and I, I think it was originally in the uh, by uh, the author Eric Davis used it, um, which I which I haven't re- read his book. I think it's called um, High Weirdness is the name of his book. It's on on the list of things I have to I have to read soon. I think, um, but the term was weird naturalism, um, and sort of oh. like it's it's like a you know respecting these sort of like. Um, you know, extremely 
unexplainable or strange, uh, strange observations, strange experiences, um, you know, without necessarily the need to define them or make assumptions about them. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, basically a naturalist worldview plus just sort of like understanding that, yeah, this is provisional and there's all this other weird Um, stuff that, um, just don't know how to explain. And so I'm not going to try to force a, um, force an explanation onto it. Um, uh you know, in other words, to kind of be more okay with that uncertainty about it. And that's hard, I think, for our brains to do. Like, it's hard mm-hmm. for us to sit with and accept uncertainty. You know, I, I've, I've had the experience throughout my life of um, at times, you know, it's much less now, but, but when I was younger, you know, devaluing my psychedelic experiences, minimizing them, choosing myself to kind of say, well, I was just high. I was just a hallucination. Maybe that, you know. Because it, because again, it, it's it's hard to sort of sit with uh, this idea that maybe the the mainstream worldview about you know materialistic worldview is not you know doesn't 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 chalk up, um, and and so so then what right? And that's that that can be scary. That can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when it comes to psychedelics, <clears throat> I think there's a need to provide informed consent around uh, this phenomenon that psychedelics can change one's worldview. And, you know, for, for folks who are considering taking a psychedelic, for them to be aware that, you know, you might, um, you know, it, it might not be that you get a new worldview, but psychedelics may blow up your old one. And is that something that you're, you're willing to potentially, you know, have as, as part of the experience? Which is really tricky considering, I mean, at some point, you know, at some point it's like, do you even understand what that's consenting to if you haven't done it? (laughs) If you have an experience having your Uh worldview sort of like um, wonked out, like, I mean, what does that even mean? Um, So that's a, I mean, I think that's a, a bit of a, a sticky question and um you know and you see i mean it's not uncommon at all to see um psychedelic use as sort of an on-ramp i mean i think it's a huge on-ramp to uh to buddhism um and i don't necessarily think that's because buddhism buddhism is necessarily like a great or perfect or better than others articulation of of a psychedelic experience i mean i think um many people would argue it is that's fine um i don't really want to get into critiquing it that way just to notice that I think it was just coming into um, consciousness in the West at the same time psychedelics exploded and it was also unfamiliar and new. And so I think that that was a, you know, for, for a lot of people, that was a really perfect place to, wow, you know, my worldview is different and I don't know if what I grew up with may like, here's one that seems like it has its roots in a very long uh, tradition and people could also project onto that, like, a lot because they didn't have their own relationship with it. So they could just project whatever onto it. And, you know, it provided sort of a, uh, some sort of a container that people were looking for. And then, you know, of course you have the Beatles and all. Um, so there's a huge on-ramp to that. Um, 
uh, you know, I don't think that's to say it's incompatible, um, that sort of worldview with other religions, um, either. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I think it often is, um, I, there's adherence of other religions that, um, do think so. And then there's others, of course, that really, really actively don't, but it is sort of an on-ramp to more of a religious sensibility. Um, again, not inherently so for sure, but you do see that. I love the term ontological shock, (laughs) which, which kind of refers to this phenomenon of like having, you know, having your worldview really disrupted or dismantled and, uh, being, being, uh, having experiences that, that, you know, force, force one to go back to the drawing board in some ways and, and reassess. And uh, that was certainly my experience when I, you know, my early, my earliest psychedelic experiences were, I didn't have language. I didn't have tools for understanding them. Um, and that prompted me into, um, you know, my own personal journey. And that's, you know, where I discovered Buddhism, discovered other, you know, non, non-Western or uh, ways of knowing, um, which were obviously more helpful, I think, than, than what I was given. I was raised Catholic and, you know, mostly grew up in a materialistic worldview. Um, so there, the, another term that I love um, is uh, ecstatic literacy, uh, which is the, uh, like, the, the fact that like we need if we're going to go into these states we need we need to be able to interpret and live with those experiences because uh, what you often see is you know this is not even referring to the fact that some of these experiences can be challenging or scary but like even if you have this this mystical experience where you meet God and you're convinced that you know there is an afterlife or or whatever it is um, then you've got to go back to your day-to-day life, your job, your family, and how do you hold that? How do you how do you bring that forward? And if you're not skilled at that, that could lead to some difficulties in in transitioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting. You know, and and you know, and referencing your own sort of uh, um, Catholic upbringing, I think that's you know, again, in our culture, we have sort of a um, well, we all have our predispositions and baggages and things like that. Um, you know, I hope I don't, I mean, I don't really care, I guess, if I say anything heretical, I'm certainly not being intentionally offensive to anyone um, on purpose, but it's also like, I mean, I can't think of what would be like a better trip than if you could imagine like, classical music while you're like laying in the middle of one of those ancient European cathedrals. I mean, whole like, wow, wow, wow. That would be like my dream trip right there. I think that would be about as awesome as it could possibly be. Um, just those, those cathedrals are so evocative and beautiful and incredible. Um, you know, and, and combined with that music, I would, I mean, that would be, so it seems like there's something in the context there that's so evocative of a, um, uh, so evocative. Um, so, you know, we talk about set and setting in context. I think that that's one that would just be 
pretty incredible. I don't know how to get clearance for that, mm-hmm. though. I think that might be tricky to pull off. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably something that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that, that might be a little difficult. But yeah, I think you're right about context. Um, it might be that uh, psychedelics can evoke, um, you know, this sort of mystical experience or uh, some contact with some, some sense of beyondness. Um, but the, the, the sort of content of that, the flavor of it, the, the imagery, uh, the, you know, the, the details are going to depend on the context that you're doing it. They're going to depend on your history, you know, the religious or spiritual upbringing that, that you might have had or didn't have. Uh, and, and then the integration, you know, the, the, what, this is where I think, you know, community integration comes into play. Um, and why integrating on your own can be really hard because you don't, you, you know, we need each other to sort of talk, talk this through, process this and come to our own sense of how we, how we hold these experiences. Um, so, so definitely I think that before, during and after the context will, will greatly impact um, how, how one's belief system may or may not change. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, and I'm just, you know, as we're talking here, just kind of uh, wandering and speculating in my mind. It's because the discussion around psychedelics, of course, has been and continues to be, um, you know, even amongst people who would roughly call themselves um, like advocates for psychedelics, not necessarily for any particular vision, but like our psychedelic uh, positive people, like it's still like very contentious, right? Very contentious. And I think part of that is that there's so, you know, our con- cultural context, you know, in uh, the United States in 2022 uh, is so fragmented and so disrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many competing and incoherent uh, you know, worldviews that it's sort of like, well, how it, it, in a way it can be sort of hard to imagine, like, what does that look like? What is a, what does it look like to bring someone into a, um, you know, into this to have the, the, you know, to potentially, and I, I don't want to imply this happens every time. That's not, it, it doesn't like these, like this doesn't, it's not like all the time, every time. Um, but it's certainly a thing that is um, absolutely, um, possible to too likely somewhere in there um but to kind of like bring someone through that entire process right and um and you know i'm imagining and and i'm just imagining the differences in experiences between like like what if like for instance like having a psychedelic experience and say like um i imagine like the great stupa up in fort collins up outside of fort collins colorado which is a you know a, a sacred tibetan uh, monument, uh, you know, and inside of it's you know really beautiful and ornate and a giant statue of a Buddha, and it's it's beautiful. And I'm imagining an experience like that in that setting, with you know, perhaps chance, and then sort of a, uh, a you know meditation and a worldview uh, and a set of practices that were aligned with that, 
you know, and you can compare that then to like a, you know, Catholic chapel with, you know, um, you know, music that was consistent with that. And then a worldview coming out of that and shaped by that, like these are sort of like coherent, um, whole ways of seeing and whole ways of being. And the, you know, the world we live in is, is you know, so fragmented and, and, and mix and match. And I, and I do think this is where there's a, uh, you know, it's one of the risks that I see is that, you know, you can have a worldview shaken and then come out of and like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm not, there is more than meets the eye. Right. And I do think that that can make a person vulnerable then to, someone who's saying, ah, you have seen, it is not what you thought. Here's what it is. Um, yeah. Right. And that person could be unscrupulous or crazy or what you name it, you know? Um, and I think a person might be pretty vulnerable to, wow, it's not what I thought and be in this really open state. Um, and then having someone sort of suggest or, uh, you know, incept almost, <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's that yeah. use that term that cleanly, but to kind of really, um, here's here's what it is, right? Um, I'm pretty fine with the experience and being like, well, here's what it isn't, and like you have an, your own personal experience. But then when you you might have someone else then telling you this is what it is, um, well, then that person is exerting a whole hell of a lot of power and influence um uh-huh. you know like like an extreme amount of power and influence and and that is something i think that really needs a lot of attention and care because i think that is a risk it's such an important principle of integration that you don't want to be overly interpretive of someone's experience right and, and so it's it is uh, when we see this happening where people, you know, do psychedelics in some context and, and yeah, and there's, uh, there's a vulnerability, there's a, a desire to have some help, help me understand what just happened. Help me make sense of it. And if you have somebody with confidence and who feels like an authority saying, as you're saying, Nate, like, this is how it is the, here's, here's the nature of things or something. Um, you know, it, it, uh, people that that can be a harmful process for for people. Um, so, you know, that's something that uh, when we talk about integration, you know, often there's advice to be careful about sharing uh, your psychedelic experience. Like, be careful who you share it with. Be selective. Be thoughtful. You know, one of the reasons is because of stigma and judgment. But I think another another reason is that you know you could potentially have something that's you know, more open and uh, something that in your own process, you will come to your own conclusion. You could have that corrupted by somebody who will jump in prematurely and, and interpret or, you know, provide the answer. Um, and, and, you know, that, 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 that can be something that a person's not even aware of happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so like putting, um, you know, for anyone out there who is, you know, uh, wants to be or would be or is a practitioner, it's like, you know, it's so important to be um, extremely mindful of that and mm-hmm. 
putting your own view of the world onto someone else sort of without their, you know, without their consent to it essentially. Cause how could they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. You know, that's, one that's of the really findings crazy. and one of the findings uh, showed that in, in one of these studies that, that we'll, we'll post in our show notes um, showed that uh, beliefs in fatalism increased. Um, but interestingly, I think that was the only one that didn't sustain at um, a, a six month follow up. Hmm. Uh, the you know the idea that things are that fate um, things are fated and uh, it made me think of you know uh, Young's concept of synchrony, um, synchronous events that if we pay attention we'll see synchrony and that there's meaning behind that. Um, so just to bring in you know uh, a more of a skeptical viewpoint. Uh, there is a very well um, demonstrated phenomenon that, you know, human beings are very, very good at seeing uh, meaning and patterns in random, random stimuli, right? There was a, a study that one of my favorite studies where they, I forget the details. I was trying to look it up for this. So I, I you know, I'm going to, I may get, get this fundamentally wrong, but the, the conclusion I think is the same. Um, you know, they put people into some sort of experimental task where there was a bunch of buttons and levers and things, and it would, you know, it would spit out money if they got the right pattern, right? And they were just kind of left to figure it out. Um, and, you know, over time, um, you know, the, what was that, you know, what was actually happening was it was completely random and set up to a schedule. So over time, as the experiment went on, it would spit out money or the, whatever the reward was, you know, more frequently. Um, so people thought, you know, everybody left the experiment and said, I figured it out. I cracked the code. You know, if, if you ask them, um, mm -hmm. even though there was absolutely no code and it was just completely random. Um, so I think, you know, we, we are very good at making meaning out of things. This is how we going back to functional coherence. This is how we survive our, you know, uncertain and scary and unpredictable environments. Um, and so is that a possible explanation for this? Is that, you know, the, the psychedelic experience somehow um, introduces a bunch of sensory input that we then need to make sense of. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, believing in God or believing in some other, other form of uh, reality is a, is an easy explanation. Mm hmm. Sure. Um, sure. I mean, I think a lot of things are, <laughs> um, you know, and I go back to that sort of weird naturalism because I, I sort of, um, again, I don't know. I have, I, I, you know, I haven't read that book, so I just heard it as a term in like a one or two sentence description on, and I was like, well, I, I dig that. Um, because it really is less about, because I think that's the risk of trying to, impose um here's what it is right like an idea or a definition onto it right i think the risk of doing that exactly what you're saying like um naming a pattern when that's not what you're doing you know you're um you know you're being superstitious basically um versus sort of this openness of like well 
that's not a thing I can explain. Um, but it does seem like it doesn't fit with a purely materialistic worldview, <laughs> which is sort of like, I mean, that is sort of where I'm at. Like, it's sort of like, like pretty durably. I'm like, well, that doesn't fit with a purely materialistic view of the world. And I want to not impose too much on it of my, of interpretation because um, I feel like the risk of that being sort of uh, highly motivated um, uh, is extreme. Um, and I, I mean, that is kind of a tricky place to stay because that, that, that desire for knowing is, um, truly, truly tremendous. Yeah. But it also doesn't feel as it like was. that would have been, I think it, there's been times that would have felt unbearable, but it doesn't, you know, because, because to me it does sort of, uh, there is like a sense, like it makes sense. Like it, it makes sense. I just don't try to define too much what that sense is exactly. Um, yeah, it's this, this, we're getting, I mean, I think we're kind of, getting around that territory where words start to get a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it makes me think about someone who is really depressed or highly anxious and, um, you know, going back to the idea that a lot of these, uh, what we label as mental health problems involves a rigidity of thought, a rigidity of uh, behavior, right? These patterns that kind of we get stuck in, we get caught in these loops, mm -hmm. right? So you could see how an experience that really, really powerfully disrupts whatever the status quo is um, and introduces, you know, new stimuli, new experiences that then, uh, you know, like it's like shaking, you know, shaking something up, like then you've got to like, okay, that the, these old beliefs aren't going to work anymore. This, the old way is not, doesn't, this experience doesn't fit with that. So I either need to ignore this experience or somehow minimize it, or, you know, I need to alter that, those, those, that older set of thinking about things in order to make sense of this. Mm -hmm. And so how that can be used positively for, you know, for therapeutic growth or change. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, you could see how that could uh, potentially make things worse. If someone doesn't have, let's say, the right support in that process, if they feel isolated, uh, if the psychedelic experience was really scary, um, then, you know, that process of, of putting back together um, might look very differently. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, or actively malevolent support, right? Like, um, mm. I think that's something people worry about too, um, for good reason. Um, and I, you know, and this is something that if you have been around, I think, I'm curious if you relate to this, but if you've been around and used psychedelics, like I know, especially when I was younger, you know, and, and when, you know, you're likely to use them in various settings and, and sometimes you encounter people that, um, man, 
like they are um they are fucking with you um like in 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 a very very serious way um because they're and they're like yeah i don't know if you've had that experience before where you've been with people and you're like well that person is like they're on some trip and it's like they are like there's like I don't want. I'm not calling names to an individual person, but like there is an energy there that is ex- that you can experience. Is like that feels evil. Sure, or intrusive, or you know, dom- domineering, or mm-hmm. um, man- you know, manipulative. Um, and yeah, th- you those know, are more. Think about. Those are, uh, Sorry, those are more neutral words for sure, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I definitely chose that word that on evil, purpose because, sure. it, 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 like, I have had that experience. Like, it's like, woo! It, I mean, that's uh-huh. the only word I, I could come out with, right? And I mean, and that maybe it uh-huh. come out of that, and, and 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 I don't necessarily believe that that was a quote evil person, but there was an energy there that was like, oh my god, like you are uh-huh. fucking with me, yeah. Yeah, and if you if you if you look into the details of some of the um, reports of sexual abuse and mm-hmm. you know psychedelic uh, in the psychedelic area, you know you'll hear that that sort of vulnerability is 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 preyed upon. You know mm-hmm. where uh, a person has an experience and then the the predator says things like you know um, you're just you know this confusion is good you know. Um, this really, this, this, this means that you really love me. This means that we're meant to be together, you know, can again, easily insert some personal agenda, um, into that openness that that's created from a psychedelic experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the room for a, um, for a, for a deep, uh, deeply dangerous, like full on mind fuck is there, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that people um, are um, attempting to draw attention to that, and rightly so, because that's that that's really. I mean, I think that that's to me that's the danger. You know, bad trip is a bad trip, and it sucks. Um, but this is, I think. A, you know, much more significant danger is, is, is sort of like people interacting malevolently with, with that experience because that's, um, and, and, and so as we kind of move into, um, uh, hopefully continue to move towards, uh, you know, post prohibition, um, you know, these conversations and really understanding how to, how to, how to mitigate that risk is really really important because it's, it's pretty tremendous, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, a takeaway from this conversation is again, the need for informed consent and need for an awareness that, you know, one of the, one of the possibilities of doing, you know, a medium or higher dose psychedelic is uh, potentially that it, it will, you know, disrupt your beliefs about the, the world or, or reality. It may change your spirituality or, or religious orientation so that people have that, you know, and I, I agree with you that in some ways you can't really prepare somebody for that. They may think they know what that means, you know, uh, like 
sort of the be careful what you wish for phenomena. You know, people are looking for, they're really stuck in their lives. So they say, yeah, I'd love a new perspective. Mm-hmm. It's like, then, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? You get that and that's what you think you want. But then when it shows up, it can be really disruptive. And and just so to, to have some awareness of that and some, you know, some some resources that, that are available to help somebody navigate um, any of those uh, potential tricky parts of, uh, you know, kind of resolving older beliefs with with their their new experience, I think is a, an important part of doing psychedelic work. Yeah, and I, and I think there's room to hone in. Of course, there's so much room to to learn a lot, but there's also like, you know, so I think like ontological neutrality, um, definitely in like a uh, like in just like a therapeutic counseling uh, situation, you know, sort of like ontological neutrality is really sort of important there from in, in my point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but also room for like, if someone comes in, right. And they are a believing Christian and that's important to them. Um, boy, I think that that could be powerful in terms of like working with somebody who can, you know, uh, speak that language with you and go into that with you and, um, and you know, and can support, what you experience with uh, the um, practices and metaphors from that tradition, I think can be extraordinarily powerful. So um, that's why I'm hopeful. Like there's more um, practice and intention and careful consideration of, of religious use, because I think that provides a really powerful container um, for people. Mm-hmm. Um you know, or if someone came in, you know, Jewish or Buddhist or, you know, whatever, any, any belief and they came into it being like, well, this is my, um, this is my religion. This is what I believe. I think that, um, it would, you know, for them to be able to go into it and know that they can be with somebody who can support that. And it's not, um, you know, and, and who wants to help them to, um, uh-huh. live that rather than going into it being like, well, you might just come out believing any old thing. Um, I mean, I think that's going to be really uncomfortable to people. Um, and of course, there's never uh-huh. any guarantees in life. I mean, the mind's complicated and there's never, I mean, anything can happen to anybody anytime. And like, you can have a, uh, you know, you can have your beliefs upended by, um, yeah, having an accident or losing someone or um, literally or metaphorically being struck by lightning. Um, but I think, you know, being able to, understand and respect um, the domain of belief is a really important thing to give more attention to. One of the problems with some of the, the survey, uh, the, the data that I mentioned is a lot of it comes from surveys. So they're, they're not controlled experiments, right? And so it's a biased sample, like who are the people who are, um, you know, filling out these surveys? There, there may be a certain type of person, you know, maybe somebody with less firm religious beliefs, you know, uh, so, so, uh, you know, that I, I think your point that this doesn't necessarily always lead to change. And in some ways it might, for some people, it might, you know, reinforce their current belief system or, you know, I, I think that that's an interesting thing of, psychedel- of psychedelics to me is that, you know, people could have, um, the content can be quite varied. Um, you can have a Jewish mystical experience. You can have a Christian, Buddhist, you know, on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and so that you know the content can change and even you know a person might have a person who you know identifies as um you know catholic may have a uh, a mystical experience from a different tradition but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to now believe that different religious set of beliefs mm-hmm. they might just have that experience um and so i think that's one of the interesting things about uh, psychedelics is the the variety of um, mythology that that tends to show up. Absolutely, absolutely. That's um, you know I had a, a extremely um, Islamic flavored for for lack of a better word, um, which I don't. I mean, I didn't have like a, but it was clear that that's what that was. I mean, it was an ex- like. And yeah, I went back afterwards because I was like, what happened there? And, and you know, looking through just some of the religious studies books I had, and I mean, there was imagery and iconography that I didn't recall being familiar with. It was in, like, it was just a very strange, like, wow, where did that come from? Um, uh-huh. You know, like, it's not my, this doesn't come from a place in me of, uh, like, that, that I am personally aware of. So yeah, I think it, that that is a, a really you know interesting interesting thing. Um, where it seems like some of these experiences are generated out of nowhere, but then there are actually frameworks that. Oh wow, that's look at that. You know you you know look at images. Um, yeah, from other religious iconography and recognize things, and 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 that's a that's a wild experience and and sort of baffling. There's so much about it that is that is. Um, very baffling and 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 you know um aldous huxley talked about a lot about um what he called the perennial philosophy which is essentially like a yeah. um, sort of a core uh religious idea of like there's sort of like a universal truth and that all religions are um idiosyncratic culture bound um ways of uh you know uh, practices beliefs um rituals um that are built around that and they all look different because people are different and people in um you know different regions have like 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 it all looks different because people are different and cultures are different but that they're all sort of built around this sort of core um religious truth uh i think he would say or that's what perennial philosophy is essentially positing and um, well i i I think I think you would also say that it's because you cannot directly express it. It, it is it is ineffable. Language symbols doesn't. It's it's you know in Buddhism there's the idea of the finger pointing to the moon, right? All religion from this perspective of the perennial philosophy, all religion are different avenues, different you know gates, different entry points um, that you know, potentially lead to the same experience, but that indes- that experience is indescribable. Um, you can use a variety of uh, maps, metaphors, symbols to get there. Right, right, right. And, but none's going to be perfect, right? None's going to perfectly be able to articulate it so that it's, you can't articulate mm-hmm. it universally. Um, but the, the, there, there are these... Um, yeah, variety of religions that are um, 
you know, that are built, that people develop language around, that people connect around, that people develop a coherent worldview and way of life around, right, that is consistent mm-hmm. with that perennial philosophy. Right. Because that, that fundamental truth is more of an experience than an idea, right? So it doesn't fit in our human brains. It doesn't, it will never fit in our human brains, right? It's it's something that you have to experience. Mm-hmm. Um and, and how did, so how do you get there? <laughs> uh, well, you can meditate, you can pray, you can take drugs, you can ecstatic dance, you can fast, you know, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and practice. And I think that's the, um, I mean, I think that's the core of a lot of religions are, you know, whether or not you have a comprehension of it in any moment, you know, uh, I think religions built uh, practices and social norms and whatnot so that you live at least from the point of view of what the, uh, I think any specific religion would say, so that you live in alignment with that, right? Like that's that that's the goal. Mm-hmm. Is maybe there's understanding of it might be a goal, but understanding of it may be less of a goal than just like living in alignment with that, right? So that the the, the individual mm-hmm. and society live in alignment with that. Um, I think there probably different emphasis on the relative value of understanding it versus living in alignment with it versus, you know, like, um, based on a whole lot of different, um, idiosyncratic factors of, of, uh, culture and place. And I'm sure geography and all, I mean, all the infinite factors of what might influence that. Um, so, um, certainly fascinating. And, um, and um, and I think particularly, yeah, it's particularly worth discussing, you know, in our current cultural context in which we're like a, a melting pot in which, you know, kind of we don't like have a, a coherent set of, of belief. Some would argue that our most coherent set of belief right now is, um, you know, is sort of a, like an individualist capitalism, um, you know, and I think that's where a whole lot of, of, of people, when they look at, at psychedelics, um, now are you know so put off by that and concerned about that it's like almost a way of like um you know embedding and reifying that sort of like individualist capitalist worldview that um i think many 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 people find pretty repugnant um but also is like well maybe that is the unifying belief that we have right now which is um i don't know kind of gross if you ask me i guess <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, and, and one thing we actually didn't talk about yet was was uh, you know another super common kind of like experience in psychedelics is that we're all connected, um, and mm-hmm. that you know that that happens over and over and over again. And so that is like it, it's the opposite of that capitalistic worldview you're describing. And you know, so many people come out of psychedelics, you know, wanting to. Um, connect more with other people or wanting to take care of the earth better, um, uh, you know, wanting to um, be vegetarian because, uh, you know, the effects of eating meat or, or whatever it might be. So um, this sense of connection, the sense that we're, you know, we're all, the, we're all on some ways, um, you know, part of, part of this bigger thing, um, I think is also an experience that so many people crave in this individualistic disconnected culture, mm-hmm. you know, and our capitalism of course steers us towards answers that are going to, you know, that are profitable, like 
buying this thing or, you know, looking younger, um, you know, it's all around selling more. It's all around, you know, creating the sense that you are lacking and you need these products to, to be whole. And the message from, you know, this mystical experience is just so different than that. Uh, it is, I think, a, a threat to uh, the prevailing, you know, materialistic capitalist worldview. Hmm. You said something um, that really teed up an idea for me. Um, um, that you uh, yeah, probably won't be surprised about because, you know, at this point I'm, uh, um, um, also a cattle farmer. Um, you know, and so you brought up vegetarianism. I think that's a wonderful, I want to, I, I can use this to really illustrate, I think a lot of what we've talked about today. Um, you know, first of all, I think that a lot of, um, our, our current sort of psychedelic culture insofar as there is such a thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's varied and weird and there's, I mean, there's many different cultures, but there's a huge strain, right. That I think is um, there's a belief system we could say, or somewhat of an ontology that is sort of directly descended from hippies. Like it's a hip, it, it, it's hippiedom. Right. And again, that's not the only strain. And there's lots of uh, various ones at this point, various subcultures, various. Um, but there's a huge um, influence of sort of the beliefs that spring up in the, you know, late 60s and 70s around this, you know, and, and that was really infused with Eastern spirituality, and a lot of different things. And I think vegetarianism was one of the things that was very, you know, very much associated with that. There was, um, you know, that became a, you know, real thing then. Um, for exactly what you said, right? Like, it's like this, um, you know, connection and, uh, kindness to animals. I mean, it's directly like, if you look at, um, some forms of Hinduism and Buddhism, particularly in India, like vegetarianism is a thing, you know, like ahimsa, no violence. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's viewed as this like sense of like connection and being a part of, and the way that you do that is, is, is via, you know, kindness uh, to animals so that, that that's a belief right that was kind of i think pretty much inculcated by um this culture around psychedelics that developed for, in the 60s and 70s and had roots that were deeper than that um and um you know i was myself a vegetarian for about a dozen years um you know and i'm not anymore at all in fact i raise cattle um because I've sort of come to see that same impulse to be connected in an extraordinarily different way. Right. And so it's in cult, like, a, like, a, like my, the belief around connection is sort of still there. There's this belief in uh, the interconnection of life. I mean, that's, that's deep, 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 uh -huh. deep in me. Right. But the manifestation of that is ex like opposite now. I mean, basically opposite, um, which is, for, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think, in, you know, industrialized feedlots, things like that. I mean, I think people of this mindset can pretty much agree that that's inhumane and not. Mm. Um, but to me, it has, it has to do a lot with um, supporting um, and caring for and loving intact, you know, ecosystems to the degree possible, you know, and how grassland you know, ecosystems need um, grazing animals to be whole and how, um, you know, the challenge then is how to, um, how do you, um, how do you love something? Cause I love my cows. I love the steers. I mean, like 
truly. Like how do you love something and then also nourish yourself off of that same thing at the expense of its life? Um, in some ways, that's to me, I find that to be a very, very sacred idea at this point and like a sacred practice because um, that's how, I mean, we exist from decay of others, um, you know, and um, so I don't want to go too long and seem like I'm proselytizing this, which I know I can do. Um, but I, I really, what I did want to do was illustrate that there is, um, you know, a way belief can be manifested and shaped, right, from from a core experience of like, it does, I, I kind of think that that connection thing might be close to a universal that comes from the psychedelic experience. I don't know. Seems like it to me. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. how that's manifested is so shaped by what the people around you say is how you do it. You know, maybe the people around you say like, it's, yes, vegetarianism is, is, is the way to practice. Right, connection. right. Or maybe they say, well, no, you, you know, love all of creation, love the animals that you're eating and, and make sure that they have whole ecosystems that they come from and that they have, that they're supported and live a good life. And maybe that's how you do it. And so there's like, these are conflicting, like conflicting manifestations of perhaps the same belief or impulse. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, you know, because it's like if you don't have that model, you know, like you, you might think the only choice is I eat meat or I'm a vegetarian. So therefore, vegetarian is the more like interconnected, globally conscious way, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think, yeah, I don't know really anything about farming uh, the way you do, Nate, but but I do know that like what you're trying to do is a, is an alternative model, right? It's like this sort of um, ecologically conscious way of, of being with food and, and, you know, doing it in a way that feels ethical and environmentally consistent. Um, and, and, you know, I think about God images in, in a similar way, like as a Catholic or Christian, a white guy from Jersey, you know, I had a certain image of God and I, I thought that was it. I didn't realize, you know, I wasn't exposed to Hinduism and Buddhism and, uh, you know, uh, Judaism, Islam, shamanism as a kid. So, I, you know, I didn't have any other options that I thought I could choose from until, you know, psychedelics kind of, again, um, kicked me in the butt a little and like sent me out searching for other ways of trying to understand it, other models, other options. Um, so. Um, you know, I, I think you're talking about the importance of, or the, the influence of context, right. Mm -hmm. Of, of having, having other choices, having other, um, ways of understanding that are available so that we can choose the ones that most resonate with our own experience. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Boy, although that we can follow that idea down. A rabbit hole too because i think that can also expose us to almost like commodification of worldviews it's like let's mix and match and choose the one i like best you know which i think carries its own set of of challenges you know like it's 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 complicated um i think that's already though what most people are doing Right. Mm -hmm. Like you, we're only selecting from what we're exposed to. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying like they're all, you know, like we should we should make everything available to everybody, and then you just, you know, but but in some ways that's already what you know we we sort of make sense of reality based on what what we've learned, and if you know if all we've learned is one particular way, or then we you know, if that doesn't work for us, then what do we, what do we do? We're, we're in a, you know, we're in a bit of a bind. Oh boy, that is, um, it is a bind. Yeah. I think that is a big part of the bind that, um, um, I mean, I think we kind of like plurally, you know, find ourselves in that sort of bind now where it's like, you know, there are these worldviews that are conflicting with one another. You know, and can we peaceably allow other worldviews to be, um, you know, while living our own um, and connecting with others around our own? Like, so, so that it's not just this, like, hey, I got mine, you got, like, but there, I think there's a need to connect with people and build community around that. And, and not, I'm not saying all communities need to be homogenous of the same, think the same exact thing of the world, but I think, um, It's, um, yeah, this is, well, we could spend a lot more time talking about that. I think it's a very, <laughs> um, a very, uh, interesting and kind of vexing, um, question. I think about it a whole lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, and you know, there's, I mean, there, there's so much, um, there's so much in this topic, you know, it's bringing to mind, issues of cultural appropriation and, and, you know, uh, uh, some of, some of what, what you do see happening in psychedelics that, that's, that, you know, kind of offends some cultures that where people are, are, you know, going into uh, different traditions and sort of adopting them without really, you know, the, the sort of seriousness or rigor or, or respect. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that this is, you know, it's a super complicated phenomenon, but just going back to this fundamental need to make meaning and, yes. to, and to, and to make stories. That's, that's kind of what we do as humans. It is, it is. And I think that that, you know, at its best, you know, what the psychedelic experience offers is a opportunity to sort of recalibrate um, because, you know, whether those stories are individual I am a bad person. I am a bad friend. I am not good enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, or whether those stories are, um, you know, really, um, maybe cultural stories that have really outlived their usefulness. Um, I think that they offer the opportunity to sort of recalibrate a little bit to, um, Mm, of course, is where we get to defining something, but to, you know, maybe what we're referring to when we refer to the perennial philosophy, but, you know, then again, that's a belief I have, but, um, which, you know, y'all are welcome, of course, to be with me on that or not, but it, to me, like recalibrating, um, that's what, that, that's what it does at its best. You know, it's kind of like, oh, that was a, a, a word, a symbolic word rabbit hole I went down that is not life enhancing in any way. So recalibrate, 
you know, allowing me to see the way in which it's unhelpful in a way, the way in which it's, it's not useful a way which it's potentially damaging. Um, and, and sort of return to something more life affirming. So, so that, that to me, that's what it is, is it, it's absolute best is sort of this helpful recalibration process. You know, you know, the risk is that when you have somebody then trying to, like I mentioned, pull you and calibrate you to something else, like to their own thing. Um, but at its best, it just, you know, you have the space to sort of like allow uh, your own experience to, to recalibrate, I think, to something underlying and, and real and durable. Mm-hmm. That, that's my belief. Well, we hope this episode was helpful and, uh, um, you know, just laying out some of the issues. Obviously, there's not a lot of clear answers here, but I think as, uh, you know, from a medic, you know, the sort of medicalized therapeutic uh, context, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, how, you know, psychedelics and uh, changing people's worldviews or belief systems, how that kind of, you know, plays out as psychedelic assisted therapy becomes uh, more widespread. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. And, um, you know, as always, if you enjoyed the show, um, please feel free to um, leave a review um, or, or share it with someone so that we can uh, broaden this conversation you know, to include anyone who, who might be interested. Well, pleasure chatting with you, Nate. And until next time. All right. <laughs>